we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. I'm uh, one of your pastors here at New Life, and I'm excited today because we're starting a brand new kind of two-week mini-series. Uh, and uh, before we dive in, I just want to lay a couple of reminders in front of you. Uh, first of all, let me just say, uh, if you're a guest, what I'm about to say uh, is not for you, so you can go ahead and earmuff it up. But if you're a part of our faith family, I do want you to know that we are taking up our annual Send Missions offering. We started taking this up uh, last week, and so many of you have already sort of given your offering. Uh, many of you have already turned in your pledge, and so I want to say thank you to those of you who have already done that. If you haven't done that, we're going to be taking this offering up through the end of the year. So you still got uh, five or six weeks to kind of pray through, hey, what would God have us give to the cause of mission in 2023? And I just want you to know, like, everything that you give to this offering, none of it stays uh, in-house. It doesn't go to pay uh, the light bill or pay Pastor Mike's salary or anything like that. It doesn't even go to, to fund the, the brand-new pastor's hot tub in the back of the building. Although, <laughs> although many of you probably would give to that, right? You're like, man, there's going to be a hot tub here? I'll give to that. Uh, all, all this goes out, right, to um, our city partnerships our national partnerships, our church planting efforts in Washington, D.C., Myrtle Beach, and around the world in places uh, like Egypt and Turkey and the Czech Republic and Panama City and all these other places. And so we just encourage you, pray about if you're part of the faith family, man, what would God have me sacrifice this holiday season so that others could hear the glorious good news that there's a God who saves? Uh, the second thing I would say is if you, um, if you are new here, you can kind of unmuff it now. This is for you. If you're new here and you haven't yet been to a Journey 101 luncheon, just want to know that's kind of like your first step here. It's kind of an introductory deal. We're doing that in two weeks. So two weeks from today, I think that's December 4th, right after this service, 11 o'clock, we'll slide upstairs. Just spend about an hour, hour and 10 minutes with you. We'll feed you lunch. If you got little kids, if you sign up, we'll have child care for you. Uh, I'll be up there, Pastor Jonathan. Uh, will be up there. And really, that's just a time for you to get to know us and hear our hearts and where we feel like God is taking us as a faith family. And so if, you, if you're new here, newer here, haven't been to a one-on-one -on -one lunch, go ahead and go online, sign up, register for that. Let us know you're coming, and uh, that'll be uh, a good time, I think. Uh, one, one of the jobs I feel like I have as, uh, as your pastor is really to kind of keep uh, one, one hand on the pulse of our church family. So like kind of what What's going on in your hearts and lives? What are, the, what are the things that are troubling you? What are the things that are uh, bothering you? While simultaneously with, with my other hand, kind of keeping a pulse on culture, like, like where's culture going? Where's culture trying to disciple us? Or how are they trying to disciple us? Uh, particularly if it's away from a distinctly Christian worldview. Um, all the while keeping both feet firmly planted in the word of God, right? And so for me, those are kind of the three worlds that I just try to constantly live in. And one thing that happens pretty regularly is I'll begin to hear a, a certain question from some of you guys or, or maybe a, a theme of questions that are all related to the point where sometimes I'm like, man, we just need to pause what we're doing and, and we need to address this cultural issue or we need to address a particular question that's coming up a lot in the, the, the life of our church family. And so we did uh, that last year where we kind of hit pause and did 10 weeks uh, in a series called Good Design, where we looked at God's design for, for sex, sexuality, marriage, gender, like all the hot button stuff that get everybody, gets everybody fired up and gets a lot of emails in my inbox. We did that for like eight or 10 weeks because you guys were asking a lot of questions. Like you guys were curious about it, and certainly our culture is, is trying to push certain things down our throats in, in regards to those issues. And so we, we just carved out eight or ten weeks, and we just uh, dealt with it head on. What does God have to say? Well, I don't care what culture has to say. What does God have to say about sex, sexuality, marriage, and gender? 
And, and similarly, in, in recent months, we've kind of just got this question on repeat from many of you, and that question is, how do I know that I'm really saved? Like, how do I, how do I know? Like, maybe I'm religious, maybe I go to church, but how do I know that I'm, that I'm really in? And I just want to commend those of you who have been asking that question, or, or maybe you haven't been asking it, but you've been thinking about it, or you've been wrestling with you. That's a great question. In fact, I would argue there's probably no better question for any of us in the room watching online right now to ask ourselves than that question. Am I really saved? And if I am, how do I, how do I know? Now, now, here's what I know to be true in a, in a room this size with the amount of people we have watching online every single week. There are three types of people, three groups of people in the room watching online. The first type of person that I think is probably here watching online is the person who is not saved, not a Christian, and knows it. So they're just like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not in. Uh, maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're curious. You just want to find out what all this Jesus stuff is about. Maybe you realize there's this gap in your, in your life, in your heart, and you're trying to figure out if maybe this is what you're missing. Uh, maybe for you, you just got guilted into coming by your wife or your grandma or something like that, and you don't want to be here, but you're just doing somebody a favor. And, but, but either way, you, like you're not a Christian, you're not saved, uh, you know you're not saved. And if that's you, let me, let me just say, man, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad that you're in the room. I'm glad that you're watching uh, online. And my, my hope and prayer for you is that you would encounter the Jesus of the Bible this morning in a compelling way that would cause you to consider giving your life to Jesus. Like, that's my prayer for you. If you're here, not a Christian, know you're not a Christian, that's my hope, that's my prayer, just kind of ahead of time for you this morning. Now, there's a second uh, kind of person or group of people in the room this morning. That's those of you who think that you're Christians, but you're actually not. Those of you who would say, yeah, I mean, like I grew up in church and I'm not a Muslim and I'm not Buddhist and my grandpa was a pastor, so I guess that I guess I'm a, a Christian, right? And for, for you, maybe you're religious, maybe you know some facts about Jesus, but he's never actually changed your life in any sort of meaningful way. Now, I think if you're like me, you grew up in the Deep South, this is a, a especially a big issue in, in this area of the world where everybody kind of grows up going to church. Like most of us grew up going to church, most of us say, pray, prayed some kind of prayer when we were six, seven, eight years old at VBS, or we walked some aisle at a church when the pastor guilted us into coming up and said, hey, if you don't want to go to hell, come up here and pray this prayer. Most of us have had that kind of experience if you grew up in the deep south. And so as a result of that, I think there's a massive group of people filling churches, particularly in the, the southeast of the United States, that think that they got their golden ticket to heaven because they prayed some prayer some years ago even though their life's values thought patterns and actions look nothing like jesus and never have and so scholars call these group of folks cultural christians or nominal christians folks that would say with their mouths that they're christians but their lives actually deny that they've actually ever met jesus uh, at all now if you're in that second group of people i want you to know my goal this morning is to unsettle you like if you came in this morning and you were confident, and, but you've never really had a life-changing experience with Jesus, you don't really have a relationship, my goal this morning is that you would walk out of here uncomfortable. Because the reality is we, if, we, if we say we believe God's word, if we say we believe the Bible, we cannot ignore really unsettling passages, right? The story in the Gospels, right? Jesus on that last day. The scriptures tell us that there are going to be many people, many, not a few, not one, not two, not a handful, not a dozen, not a hundred. There will be many people who come to Jesus on that last day and say, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? Did we not do all of these religious activities in your name? And Jesus will look at them and say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. That should haunt us in our sleep. And so if you're in that group of people, again, my hope is to kind of unsettle you this morning, not because I'm hateful, but because I believe the most unloving thing that I could do on the stage this morning is to let you deceive yourself right into a Christless eternity. That's the second group of people that undoubtedly are here watching online. There's a third group of people, and those are the folks that are here watching online that are genuinely Christians, but you consistently struggle with doubting your salvation. Man, and you just torture yourself with the question, am I really saved? I mean, did, did I really mean it enough when I prayed that prayer when I was six years old or 15 or 20 or 25? Did I really mean it enough? So, you, so you're the type of person that every time there's an invitation at the end of a service, you pray it just in case. <laughs> so you've prayed it 10,000 times just in case the first 9,999 didn't take, maybe the 10,000 one will take. And you've been baptized seven times, just, just in case, just in case, just to, just, just to kind of assuage your conscience. You're like, you, just struck, you just wrestle with it, like, did I mean it enough? Am I sorry enough for my sin? Like, why do I still struggle with my sin if I'm really saved? And if that's you, if you're a genuine believer, but you struggle with this question of assurance, my goal for you, the third group of people, is to give you a massive dose of assurance this morning. So that you can just walk in the freedom that Jesus purchased for you on the cross and through the empty tomb. So three groups of people, and your job is to determine which group you fall into uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, open it, head for Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. And we're going to look at the story of a young man who himself was tortured by this question. Just torture, man. Am, am I saved? Have I done enough? How do I get eternal life? Just, just tortured with this question. And Jesus points him, I believe, to the solution and us to the solution. But let's pause and, and just pray. Ask God to help us as we handle this delicate subject this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we are grateful that your word is true. And that we can trust that what you've told us in your word is true. And it can guide us to truth and ultimately to you, Father. And so I pray for the person here who doesn't believe, whether they know they don't believe or whether they have deceived themselves that they're Christians when they're really not, God, that you would, by the power of your spirit, unsettle their souls. As we walk through these things, if they're not in, God, would you make it clear to them that they're not in, that they're not a part of your kingdom? Not to torture them, God, but so that you could woo them in and draw them into your family, which is your ultimate desire, I believe. And God, for the saints, for the believers who just struggle and are enslaved by this question, man, have I done enough? Why do I still sin? Did I really pray the prayer just right? God, would you give those of us who are in, would you give us assurance so that we could walk out of here with a sense of freedom to live in the joy that you have for us? In either case, Holy Spirit, would you be here? Would you be in the room? Would you be uh, with folks in their living rooms via live stream supernaturally? Would you speak to us by your power through your word? 
the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. That's Jesus. So this guy runs up to Jesus, kneels down before him, and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's our question, right? How, how, do, I, how do I know that I'm in? How do I know that I'm really saved? How, how do I inherit eternal life? Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, and he begins to draw the net, right? If you notice, Jesus oftentimes answers the question with a question, right? He's leading them somewhere. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, right? And so he's beginning to drop those hints. Hey, you've come to the right place because, in fact, I am, I am God, right? Verse 19, you know the commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments right here. You know the commandments, and he starts listing them. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, and I want you to, I want you to just like underline this next part because this is important. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. In other words, Jesus doesn't chastise this young man he doesn't say, kid, what's wrong? You've grown up in church, man. You've grown up reading the Old Testament scriptures. You've grown up in the temple. Like, you haven't settled the most foundational spiritual question. Like, what's wrong? He doesn't chastise him. He looks at this young man who's wrestling with this really intense question. And, he, and the scripture says he has love for this man. He has love for him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said this to him. You lack one thing, brother. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Now, what an exquisite invitation that the Savior of the world would invite you, invite this man to come and be his disciple. Now, what's his response? He's like, man, this is incredible. I get to go, go live with Jesus and follow him and be a part of this movement that he's launching and establishing his kingdom on earth. Like, what's his response to this incredible, mind-blowing invitation? Come and be the disciple of the Savior of the world. Verse 22, his response. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, here's the scene. There's a... This young guy, he's super wealthy. We don't know how he got his wealth. Maybe he's an entrepreneur. Maybe he inherited it from his father who worked for Rome or had some kind of very successful business. We don't, again, don't know, but he's a young guy. He's got a lot of wealth. And kind of surprisingly, he's super religious. Like, like he's got all the right answers. He's clearly studied the Old Testament scriptures. And so when he comes to Jesus and he asks him this really loaded, really important question, like, am I saved? How do I get eternal life? I don't want you to miss this. By all outward appearances, this dude is on the church A-team. Like this dude, if he were at New Life today, man, our pastoral staff, our, our elder team, like we would be holding him up as the example for everybody here to emulate. This is the guy who's leading a small group in his house. This is the guy who's giving generously from his finances so much so that we start naming buildings after him. He's going on mission trips. He serves at the 915 service and attends the 11. I mean, this guy looks all in. And so when Jesus starts asking him questions about his religious accomplishments, he's got to be feeling really good about himself, right? Jesus just starts going through the Ten Commandments, and he's going, yep, nailed it. 
never killed anybody not even married yep nailed it have never had an affair yep yep yep, i nailed that one too i nailed that one too and jesus of course and this is the problem is he sees this man's heart and ultimately he sees our heart as well and jesus says to him okay uh, that's that's impressive i'm glad that you haven't killed anybody i'm glad that you don't lie i'm glad that you honor your father and mother but uh, but one more thing young stud why don't you go and sell all of your possessions i want you to give it away to the poor and then i want you to come and i want you to be my disciple i want you to follow me and the scriptures tell us that this young guy is sad so we can picture him just hanging his head turning his back on jesus and walking away and as far as we know never trusted in Jesus his whole life. See, family, this this guy liked Jesus. He liked Jesus. He liked his teachings. He he liked what he stood for. He undoubtedly liked the miracles. He he liked kind of what he was doing, feeding people and, and healing people. And he even liked being religious. He liked going to church. He liked reading his Bible. He liked giving his tithe every month. But here's the thing. His heart belonged to something else. And see, church family, ultimately, Jesus is always after our hearts. In a sense, what Jesus was saying to this guy, and I think what he's saying to us today is, listen, you have to believe in me. You've got to believe in me, not as a nice add-on to the things that you really love and are really pursuing in life, but following me means orienting your entire life around me and my message and my kingdom. Believe in me, young guy. Stop believing in all these little G gods and all these false gods that are promising you happiness but are gonna lead you to despair. Place your faith in me and then come and follow me. Believe in me, young man. And we see this concept just on repeat throughout the scriptures. I'm gonna show you just a couple of spots. John chapter one, this is Jesus' best friend. He writes this on the screens for you. But to all who did receive him, who believe? Here's the theme, all right? Start underlining these words in your Bible. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Later on, John would write this in 1 John 5. I write these things to you who, there it is again, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, underline that word, know that you have eternal life. Now, did you catch that? The apostle John just said, I'm writing writing these things to you so that you may know. That's a word of certainty, of assurance that you have eternal life. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm I'm gonna write these things to you so that you can hope that maybe you're in, so that you can cross your fingers, so that you can flip a coin, and maybe if you go to church enough, and if you go on enough mission trips, if you maybe pray enough, do your quiet time enough, that, that maybe you're gonna get it. No, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may know you may have assurance. Now, church family, this is huge. This leads right into truth number one on the screens for you. If you're a note taker, write this down. Jesus wants you to have assurance, believer. He wants you to have assurance. And this is great news. Not only is it possible for, for you to know that you're saved, Jesus actually desires this for you. I think there's kind of a, a sick misperception that seeped into certain uh, church circles And it kind of looks and sounds like this. God wants to keep you guessing so that you work harder to please him. And some of you, I guarantee you, you, whether you realize it or not, you grew up under that type of teaching. And you've inherited that kind of belief system. 
Like God's up there in heaven and he's like, you know, maybe you're saved, kid, but you know what? Maybe you're not. I saw what you did last night. So maybe you're actually, maybe you're not actually in. So you probably ought to read your Bible a little bit more this week. You probably ought to pray a little bit more this week. Maybe you ought to do a double tithe next month, like just in case. And a lot of us have that theology about God. That's how we see God. And listen, church family, I don't think anything could be further from the truth when it comes to the heart of God. Y'all, you'll listen, if, if we belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, he wants you to live and walk in assurance. Maybe I could just illustrate it uh, this way from my own story. I met my wife, Cheryl, uh, back in college, beginning of our, our junior year of college, and we only dated for a few months before I popped the question and put a big rock on her finger. And the reason that I put a rock that costs as much as a small island on her finger after just a few months was because I wanted her to have assurance that my love and commitment to her was for forever. Right? I, I, I didn't want her walking around wondering about my commitment to her. I didn't want her walking around wondering if I really loved her. And secondarily, so that when some dork walked up to her at the gym and said, how you doing, girl? That she would be able to look down at that rock, weighing down her arm, and she would know in that moment, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I was fully committed to her. And that the dork flirting with her would never be as awesome as me. Like, I needed her to know that, and the rock was evidence of that. In the same, in the same way, in the same way, listen, Jesus has given us these promises in his word, and more than that, he has put his spirit inside those of us who have believed in him as a measure of assurance that if we belong to him, we will always belong to him if we have believed in him. And he wants us to walk out with that life in that assurance. I want you to watch this in Romans 10. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this, because if you, and we're gonna come back to this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and there's that word again, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does he say? You might be saved. You could be saved. There's a 50-50 chance you're gonna get in. No, he said, no, he says, you, there's, a, there's a certainty there. You will be saved. My friend, that is a promise directly from the word of God. Now, I hope that you're starting to see this, uh, this structure, this theme in the scriptures of, of belief being connected to salvation. Now, if belief truly is the key that unlocks salvation and the assurance of salvation, I think we ought to probably carve out a couple minutes just to chat about what belief biblically means. What does it mean when someone believes in Jesus? Is it just a set of intellectual facts? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does that just mean, uh, hey, uh, I believe in God, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, boom, I'm in. Is believing, Jesus, is believing Jesus is the Son of God in the same way that you believe George Washington was the first president of the United States? Man, is that, does that constitute saving faith or saving belief? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to you now, and I want you to listen up because I think this is really, really important. Friend, listen, knowledge is different than belief. I think that's where a lot of us have gotten our wires crossed. Knowledge is not the same thing as belief. Right? You, you, can, you can know something without believing it. Right? And I'll, I'll prove it to you, and I've given you this example before. I think we all know 
that we would be healthier if we all got up at 5 a.m. and jogged five miles five days a week and ate nothing but baked chicken and steamed broccoli the rest of our lives. We'd probably be healthier, have less health problems, and live longer. Now, all of us know that to be true, and guess what none of us does? Except for like two weirdos in the back, you know, like that's what, that's what, most of us don't do that. Why? Because knowledge, knowledge is not the same thing as belief. Now imagine this, imagine you had a massive heart attack, like open heart surgery, triple bypass, the whole nine yards, and you meet with your cardiologist the next week, and he says, hey, listen, for the next three months, I'm going to need you to get up at 5 a.m. before you go to work, I'm going to need you to jog five days a week, I'm going to need you to eat a lot of baked chicken and broccoli, and you're going to live a long and prosperous life. If you don't do that, you'll be dead in three weeks. Most of us very quickly would go from knowledge to belief. Now, now, why is that? It would be because we had a transformational experience. Right? Now, 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 here's the key difference between knowledge and belief. This is important. Pay, pay attention here. The difference between knowledge and belief is that belief shapes behavior. Knowledge doesn't. Belief always shapes behavior, and knowledge doesn't. And since Jesus is ultimately after our hearts, when we begin a relationship with him, it changes us. That relationship with him, when we believe in him, begins to change us slowly at times from the inside out. And that leads right into our second truth this morning on the screens for you. Authentic relationship, relationships change you. Now, you know this to be true. I don't even have to tell you this. For those of you who are married or you've got a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend that you love, whatever it is, I don't tell you this. You know this. One of the, one of the best indicators that you are really saved, I think, is that you can look back at your life and see progress in your spiritual journey. Not, not perfection. I'm not talking about a sinless life, but you can look back at your life and see progress. And you can say, man, listen, I am, I am not who Jesus wants me to be today. Like, I am so far from, from where I, I want to be in my spiritual journey. Like, there are some days, some weeks where I feel like I take, take, you know, one step forward and 13 steps back in my spiritual journey. But here's what I can tell you. I'm not the same guy I was five years ago. I'm not, I'm not the same woman I was 10 years ago. And by God's grace, five years from now, 10 years from now, we won't be the same people that we are now. Maybe uh, j- just illustrate it this way. Um, this is not a story that I'm proud of, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, many of you know I spent a lot of my childhood in, in Alabama, right? And so I picked up a really bad habit in Alabama, easy to do down there. And um, so high school, middle school, high school, all the way through part of college, um, I began to chew tobacco or, or dip, right? You guys know what that is? And so my friends did it, and so I started doing it because I thought it was cool, and I got, I got addicted to it, right? And so I, I got to the point where I just loved it. Right, like I, I'd leave football practice and throw a dip in and be studying for, you know, an exam in college. I'd throw a dip in, have a stressful day at work, drive home, throw a dip in. And, and I loved it. But here's one of the problems when you dip is it leaves really, really nasty things around your car and your house. You know what I'm talking about? Spit cups, spit bottle, gross, man, so gross. And you got to be really careful because it can look kind of like Coke sometimes. And you can take a sip, and I did that once, actually. I drank my own spit and tobacco, and it, did, it wasn't enough to make me stop, believe it or not. I just threw another dip in, right? <laughs> I, I, I was addicted. I was addicted, and, and then I gave my life to Jesus as a sophomore in college, 
and I was convicted almost immediately. Now, God took some sins out of my life right away, right? I'm not even going to begin to list the whole host of things that he removed from my life immediately. But this is one that lingered. And I felt like it was, it was not honoring to God. Not, and I know some of you maybe think it is, but I, I felt like it wasn't honoring to God. I wasn't caring for my body well. But I was addicted. And so I tried for two years to quit. And I probably tried half a dozen times and half a dozen different ways to quit. And I, and I, and I, and I couldn't do it. I had the knowledge, right? I, I knew it was bad for me. I knew it could cause mouth cancer. I knew it was nasty. I knew like all those things, but I could not quit. But here's the deal. As soon as I started dating Cheryl, I was mortified that she would find one of my spit bottles or spit cups and be so grossed out that she would break up with me. No joke. I was mortified that she was going to find out, think I was gross, and never talk to me again. And I've never had a dip since. <laughs> I was cured instantaneously, right? Now, listen, guys, I had tried for two years to quit in my own strength. I had the knowledge, but nothing changed. But as soon as I had a relationship and a belief that there was more value in Cheryl than any benefit I could derive from tobacco, it began to shape my life and my behavior. Now, the same principle applies to our spiritual lives. Look, y'all, knowledge can only get you so far. Knowledge can only inform you, but it's belief that can change you, shape you. Belief in the right thing can actually save you. That's why there was a common saying among old, old pastors uh, of yesteryear. If you grew up in an old Southern Baptist church, you probably heard this. Uh, if, if not, try, try to figure out if you know what this means. But this was the saying. You'd hear it almost every Sunday. A lot of people will miss heaven by 18 inches. You ever heard that saying? A lot of people will miss heaven by 18 inches. You know what that refers to? The 18 inches from your mind to your heart. See, 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 family, knowledge is up here. But belief begins to sink down into the heart and soul level in a way that shapes the way a person sees the world and interacts with the world. It begins to shape and mold behavior and values. And so this is the next truth on the screens for you. This is important. Knowledge informs, but only belief can save. They're both important. We've got to have the knowledge before we can believe. But knowledge can only inform you. It can only diagnose the problem, belief. The gospel is the solution, the cure to the diagnosis of the disease of sin. Knowledge can only inform, but belief can save. Now hear me, church family. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a a book of the Bible in the New Testament. In that book, he says, man, even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons have intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. Like, they believe the gospel, but that knowledge will not save them, and it will not save you. We have to have transformational belief, relationship. Now, in the same breath, let me be very, very clear this morning. I Listen to me, guys. I am not preaching salvation by works. Now, a lot of you, you grew up with that, that junk in church, kind of checklist salvation. And you grew up listening to pastors and sermons, and the thought kind of was, or the idea kind of was, man, here's a whole list of stuff that if you want to get into heaven that you need to be doing. Right, And here's a, another list over here of stuff that you, if you want to get into heaven, you better not do. 
And the idea that a lot of us were left with is like, man, this idea we're going to stand before God one day and he's going to whip out this divine scale and he's going to take our good list and our bad list and the good bit list better outweigh the bad list or you're going straight to the flames of hell. A lot of us grew up with that in church. Now listen to me, church. If you grew up with that, I want you to hear me say this. That is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. It's not true. In fact, I, I would argue that that's karma. Now, I, and I, I want to be really clear about this distinction because I feel like a lot of Eastern mysticism and New Agey stuff has kind of infiltrated our culture and even churches. So I'm going to put the difference between karma and the gospel on the screens for you. Th this is the difference. Karma says you get what you deserve. The gospel says Jesus took what you deserve so he could give you what you could never earn on your own. That is a massive difference. Massive difference. Watch the way Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two. He says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, poema. We are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So understand, the good works are present, but they are an overflow of an authentic relationship. They are not what earns us salvation. Huge distinction. I love the way Martin Luther, the great church reformer, puts it. Luther wrote this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by life change. See, church family, we don't work for our salvation, but we do work from our salvation. Why? Because Jesus changes us from the inside out. Now, do you see that distinction? Like, that's super important that you see that distinction. We don't ever work for our salvation. We absolutely do work from our salvation. Saved by grace, by believing in Jesus, and that belief reshapes the way that we see the world, live in the world, and interact with the world around us. Now, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus as he burst onto the scene begins his earthly ministry. This is recorded for us in Mark chapter one to be on the screens for you. This is what Jesus says as he begins his earthly ministry. He says this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Now I would argue that repent and believe are not necessarily two separate commandments, but rather two sides of the same coin. In fact, I would submit to you that, that, that a necessary component of authentic belief is repentance. They are inextricably connected. In fact, that word repent in the Greek is, is metanoia. You guys say that with me. Metanoia. Metanoia. It sounds like something you'd hear in Karate Kid if you grew up in the 80s, right? Mr. Miyagi, you tell Danielson that. Go metanoia him, right? That's, that's repentance. Now, now here's, listen up. This is the fascinating part. Meta is the Greek word for new. Noia is a Greek word for mind. Literally means new mind. That's what repentance is. It's a, it's a new mind. Now here's the idea. When we actually believe in Jesus, not just have knowledge of him, not just know some historical facts about him, when we actually believe in him and have relationship with him, he gives us a new mind. Meta noia. And isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are new creations in Christ when we believe. The old is gone, the new has come. We get a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new value system, a new scorecard for success in life, new desires. We may not always please King Jesus, but at least the desire to please him is present in our lives where it wasn't before. 
Now, here, here's another way maybe to look at repentance. This will be on the screens for you. Repentance equals a change of allegiance. Repentance means a change of allegiance. We get a new mind. Now, here's the bottom line. Jesus wants, I believe, everyone who belongs to him to know with absolute certainty that they are saved. And if they're not in, he wants you to know that you're not in because he wants you to know that there's a seat at the table in his kingdom just for you. And if you're not in, listen to me. All you have to do is repent and believe in him. All you have to do is repent and believe in him. Now listen, when I hear that the whisper of our enemy in, in my ear, um, even after 20 plus years of following Jesus, when I begin to hear those lies that creep up from time to time, Chris, you're probably not even saved, man. Like you've been walking with Jesus supposedly for like 20 years and you still struggle with some of the same thought patterns and some of the same sin patterns in your life. Like, dude, you're a pastor. You're probably not even a Christian. And I hear the, the whispers of the enemy. Like, dude, you're, you're probably not even in. Like, how, how could you believe God could love someone like you? When the enemy begins to whisper those lies into my ear, I've learned, just like on repeat, the weapon that I need to strike down the lies of the evil one, my go-to passage, I'm gonna give it to you, maybe it'll be helpful for you, is in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. This is what Romans chapter 10 says. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and listen guys, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is God. He is who he claimed to be. I believe that with all my heart. Paul says, if you confess that with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, 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 you believe in your heart, not have knowledge about Jesus, if you believe in your heart in a way that changes your life and perspective, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, beautiful promise, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise directly from the word of God this morning for you, friend. And the good news this morning is our salvation doesn't hinge on us being good enough or moral enough or living a sinless enough life. Our salvation hinges on belief in what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. And so this is the amazing truth, and then we're going to be done. Here's the amazing truth. One day on that last day, when I stand before God the Father, the creator of all that is and the judge of the entire universe. He's not gonna look at me on that last day and bust out a scroll of all my good deeds and then bust out a scroll of all my bad deeds and then whip out from underneath his throne a scale and say, Chris, you better hope that this list right here outweighs this list over here I'm gonna have to send you to hell. Praise God that's not what's gonna happen. What's gonna happen on that last day when I stand before my creator, he's going to look at me on that final day and he's gonna see that I've been washed in the precious blood of his son, Jesus, and that his performance, his life, his death, his resurrection has been applied to me. And in that moment, he's gonna look at me and say, son, you're mine. Not because you're so awesome, not because you performed well enough, not because you read your Bible, not because you lived a perfect life, not because you were sinless, but because Jesus performed all of those things on your behalf. And because you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that I raised him from the dead, all of his righteousness has now been imputed to you. All of his righteousness has become your righteousness. 
And in that moment, I believe I'm going to hear the, the best words that could ever be uttered in the universe. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Not because of anything I did, but because I've trusted in all the things that Jesus has done for me. I want you to hear the words of Charles Spurgeon, my favorite pastor from the 1800s. Spurgeon writes this. Do you believe in Jesus? Then dismiss your fears. If the answer is yes, then dismiss your fears. You shall be saved. What a mercy it is that it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you that saves you. Listen, church family, by trusting in Jesus, we can know with 100% certainty that our salvation is secure now, tomorrow, next week, next year, and through eternity. I want to finish with John chapter 5. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and head on up. John chapter 5. Listen to the words of Jesus as we contemplate these things. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and there's that word again, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to what? To life. To life. And so as we close, I just want to give you two questions that I hope will be a helpful barometer as we attempt to answer our main question this morning of, am I really saved? So two questions to help you answer the main question. Number one, I just want to challenge all of you to ask yourself this question. Do, do I believe in Jesus? Now notice I use the word belief, not know about. No facts. Have historical knowledge. Those are two different things. Do I, ask yourself this question, do, do I believe in Jesus? Has this gone from the 18 inches from my brain into my heart and my soul in a way that has changed me? Listen, friend, when you, when you think about Jesus, are your heart's affections stirred? When you read his teachings, when you think about what he's done for you, is your heart moved? Or is he just another black and white historical fig figure like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington? When you think about him, is your heart moved? Is your heart moved? Do you believe in him? And a second component of that is, is have you actually repented? It's not enough just to have knowledge. Have you repented? Have you turned from your sin? Has Jesus given you a new mind? Metanoia, new mind. Has he given you new desires? Have your allegiances switched from team you to team Jesus? Do I actually believe in Jesus? And the second question that I would give you just for consideration this morning is this. Number two, do I desire to please Jesus? I'm not saying, do you, have, do you live a perfect life? I'm not saying, do you never sin? I'm just saying, is there at least, is there at a minimum a desire to please King Jesus? Like when you stumble and fall into sin, does that wreck you? Does it bother you? Or do you just embrace it? Do you even care? Like, have you learned to despise your own sin, or you just embrace it like the world? Now, I would say, I would say, I would submit to you that if at least the desire is there to please King Jesus, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Because only the Spirit can stir that love for Christ in you and the desire to please the Savior. 
Now, if you would have to be honest this morning, if you're here in the room watching online, you'd have to say, like, no, man, like, I do not have a desire to please Jesus. I go to church, I'm religious, I know some of the right answers, but I can sin, I can walk in the ways of the world, and, and there's nothing there. It doesn't wreck me. There's no conviction of sin. There's no Holy Spirit moving me away from sin back towards righteousness in Christ. If that's you, if you just have to admit, man, there's not even a desire to please Jesus, I would just, could I urge you, friend? Could I, could I plead with you this morning to consider wrestling with the status of your salvation? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That this exercise of considering our status before our creator is not an unhealthy thing we should run from. It's actually something that we should press into on a consistent basis because everything in our lives and everything in our eternity hinges on this one question. Am I really saved? And so what I want to do is I just want to take a minute. I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to call anybody up here. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes to eliminate distraction. And I want you to do business with God and be honest with yourself. You're not trying to impress me. You're not trying to impress a person sitting next to you, your spouse, your kids, your parents. This is between you and God. Ask those two questions. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I desire to please him? I just want to give you a minute to do business with God. here who would just have to admit yeah like I'm not a Christian I know I'm not a Christian also for the person here who would maybe say I walked in I thought I was a Christian now I don't think I don't think I'm a Christian I don't think I've believed I don't think I've actually put my, the full weight of my trust in Jesus I've never had a transformational experience with him God I, I just pray that you would give those who are not in your family the boldness and the courage to pray some prayer like this the words don't matter that the posture of the heart matters, but they would have the courage to just pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I believe that you actually are who you said you were. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world, God. The best way that I can, please help me repent from living life my way. I want you to give me a new mind. I want you to forgive me of my sin. God, would you send your Holy Spirit to live in me, to guide me through this life? God, the best way that I know how I give you all that I am for as long as I live on planet Earth. All that I am is yours. God, and I pray for those in the room who know you and who have been tortured with a question if they're really saved or not. God, I, I pray for those of us who have really confessed with our mouths and we have believed in our hearts that, that you are the Christ 
that you've been raised from the dead, God, that you would help us to walk out of this building, that log off of this service online with an incredible sense of assurance and freedom that we are your beloved chosen sons and daughters. That our salvation doesn't rest on how well we perform or how many mistakes we make, but ultimately because we've trusted in Jesus' performance on our behalf on that last day, you're going to look at us and say, you're mine. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. God, help us walk in the freedom that you've purchased for us, and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, let's stand, let's worship.